I don't know if we uh, have any uh, football fans in the house. Uh, any football fans? Go ahead and raise your hand. Awesome. Okay. Any baseball fans? Okay. Good. Any of you just like, I, I always hate sports all the way around. Okay. Okay. Good. We'll pray for y'all. Um, so yesterday I had the privilege of going to the Texas OU game. It did not end uh, as well for our horns as we hoped. But uh, here's the deal. I've watched a little bit of college football. I've watched a little bit of NFL. Uh, I know you guys are probably intrigued with everything that's happening right now uh, in baseball with four teams down, trying to narrow it down for the World Series. But I'm going to go ahead and just, you might want to write this down. I'm going to go ahead and make predictions on all these teams, okay? And, uh, and so go ahead. If you got a pen, you might write this down so you can hold me to it, okay? So I'm going to give you predictions. Y'all ready for it? My prediction is that in 2,000 years, none of it will matter. <laughs> okay? In 2,000 years, nothing that we are watching today will matter. But here's the awesome thing is if we look back over the last 2,000 years, we realize that there is a team and that every investment we make into that team does matter. Matter of fact, I've been blessed for uh, a handful of years to be an assistant coach on the greatest team I think that exists in the world. I truly am a coach and get to coach people uh, to be a part of this team, how they can play a significant role on a team that 2,000 years from now, every choice you make for this team will matter. Every significant contribution you make will be not only rewarded, but it will be remembered. We have a head coach that has a perfect plan. His perfect plan uh, is to involve people on the team to do their part and to do it well. And what's incredible about that is that his plan is so awesome that we don't have to game plan too much around it simply because he says, even if, if my plan seems to go awry, he goes, there's nothing that can come against, even the gates of hell won't prevail against this plan. And this plan is one that I believe God is calling us to be a part of. And I want to call you today to be a part of the plan, to be a part of the team that every contribution you make will be remembered for. And so I hope that today you'll tune in with an ear to say, God, how can what I do matter? And I'll tell you, I think every single person on the team that's ever going to make a significant contribution has to begin with a belief system. And that belief system really is two things. One, believing that there's a God who created everything that you are a part of his creation, and that because you exist as a part of his creation, that your hands and your feet, your eyes, your ears, your nose, your mouth, everything, even your intellect and your will are all his. Colossians 1 says it this way, that everything was created by Jesus and for him. It's both invisible and visible. And oftentimes we think, oh yeah, Jesus, he set everything in motion. He created the world. He set the moon and the stars in its place. He causes the sun to rise and set. And we think that's phenomenal, but here's the deal. He also created you. And he created you to be a part of this team that really does matter. But we, we also know that it's not just a belief in a God who created everything, but it's the belief in a God who recreates. That he has the ability to take someone or something that when it's broken, he can restore it. That whether uh, their heart is full of sin and deceitfulness, where, whether they're uh, covered in darkness, that he has the chance to set them free from the law of sin and death is what the scripture says. That he can give us a new life in Christ, that he can make us a new creation. And see, because we have a fundamental belief in who God is and what he can do in our lives, he can take a sinner that's held captive and set them free, we know that that's worth playing for. We know that seeing lives change is worth contributing towards. Matter of fact, I think the most spectacular thing about what's happened over the last six years at Stone Point has nothing to do with phenomenal teaching or worship or 
any site, any part of our, our financial contributions that we've made to strategic partners, all those are, are great. But I think the most significant thing is seeing people who were once in darkness be brought into the marvelous light of Jesus. And so we've experienced that with 300 plus people, people who, who used to say, I know that my heart was darkened and I was a slave to my sin, but God has come into my life and he set me free. And we praise God for that. But because of the contributions that we make, we can be a part of something and we can belong to something. You got me? And so our belief causes us to belong. Uh, let me just tell you that uh, Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 uh, about how we should belong and, and our belief in that. And it just simply says, and he died for all, meaning Christ, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised again. The reason that Jesus died is not so that you could have heaven and then go out and live for your, yourself. The reason that Jesus died is so that he says in the scriptures that you and I are bought with a price and we're no longer our own, that we would give our lives to the team and that we would create through combined efforts and uh, through sacrifice something worth belonging to. And I'll tell you, if you look at the early church, it was worth belonging to. Matter of fact, I'm going to put it for you up on the screen, Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 45. And I want you to just see how the early church belonged together. In verse 42, it says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayers. And all came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. There was this all-striking wonder that was happening in the early church with the contributions of the saints. It was an incredible thing to watch how they were using the things that God had given them for a common good, a purpose. Verse 44 says, And they all believed and were together, and they had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belonging and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Uh, they were bringing their gifts, and it was apparent that they were bringing them where anybody who had need, you could see it. And you could see exactly what God was doing there. Verse 46, And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and sincere hearts, generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. See, God does an amazing thing when the church belongs together, when you get in and you begin to use the things that God has given you. And so to belonging, I want you to realize, means a couple of things. One is, is that you're being trained and then that you're being made strong to be using those gifts that God has given you. And so I think there's really three ways that you and I can belong to God's team. And the very first one is that you would just use the gifts that God has given you. He has given you unique gifts to be used for the common good of the team. 1 Corinthians uh, 12, Paul says it this way to the church of Corinth in verses 4 through 7. He says, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. And there are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Now what we'll realize is that Paul is telling the church is that, hey, there are gifts and there's ministries and there are effects. And we realize that there are about four passages in the New Testament that talk to the church about spiritual gifts, these gifts that God seems to give us. And we realize that if you were to look at the, the gifts, that they're not all the same, that they're unique, and, the, and that the, if you begin to look, there's 20 plus gifts that seems to be that people in the church possess for the common good of the team. 
Now, I want you to see it in a way that maybe you and I can understand, because if there's gifts and ministries and effects, then I think you need to realize how many combinations there are in the church in which are needed for all of us to be doing our part on God's team. For instance, it says right there is that what? There are, there are gifts, right? And so you have gifts. That means that if you are a believer in Jesus, if you're a believer in Christ, that every single person in here possesses a gift from God for his purposes, to be on his team. Then we also realize that Paul says there are a variety of ministries. So you got gifts and then you got ministries. And then you've got effects. So gifts are, are these things given by God. And I want you to realize they're different than, say, personality or passions. For instance, you have a personality that God has uniquely wired you with. Some of you are introverts. Some of you, you don't, like you, if you could be behind the scenes and never have to say anything in front of people, like you would love that. Matter of fact, to stay up on this stage right here just by me and you, me to use you as an example, you would just cower under pressure. Matter of fact, you would almost cry, you know. Uh, and we need people like that that are introverts that you can do things behind the scenes. There are others of you that you're like, dude, if I could push you out of the way and have a few words, I would love to. And, and we need you too, okay? And, and so we need both, introverts and extroverts. They both have a part to play. Then you take that with not just your personality, but the unique passions that God's given you. Some of you, you really love certain aspects of ministry. For some of you, you used to be um, an an addict. You, you had a struggle in your life that God has set you free of, and your passion is helping people in recovery. There are some of you that you are very tenderhearted, and you love seeing kids. And for some of you, you never have kids on your own, and so you want to invest in others' kids. For some of you, you just feel like the kingdom of God is manifested best through children, and we appreciate your service. There's some of you that you really have a passion for students and adolescents that are struggling in their teenage years. For some of you, you, you say, you know what, I don't, I don't really have anything to do. Kids and students terrify me, but I love adults, and I love being hospitable. So for some of you, you're hospitable. You love to serve people. There's others that you love to exhort or encourage. And so you can do that in a variety of ways. We have a couple of ladies that just in the last couple of months have taken up a challenge of encouraging people on Mondays. And they just write them notes in the mail just to encourage them in their hard times. And that's something that has just recently happened. It's a gift of encouragement. Who's doing that? A couple of introverts that don't want to be seen by anybody, but would love to encourage somebody through their unique passions and their gifts. And so God gives us these different gifts. And oftentimes we kind of miss out on that because of the effects. And so ministries, like for instance, I mean, I've already listed quite a few ministries and I've given you lots of different gifts. So gifts, let's just say hypothetically, I didn't list this one, that you're a teacher. You love to teach God's word. You love to encourage people in that. You're a teacher. There, then you get to ministries, and you look at the variety of different ministers. Ministries we have, uh, we have Regen, uh, we have Student Ministry, we have Stone Point Kids, we have Journey Group Ministries for our adults. Like you have all of these different areas. And you go, okay, that makes sense. I've got gifts. There's ministries to be involved in. But what about effects? Well, here's the deal: is in every ministry, it could be different. Sometimes we we need large group teachers, right? Sometimes we need small group teachers. Every now and then, we need a one-on-one -on -one mentoring. 
But if you were to now think about all the combinations there, do you realize that just in those three areas and all the ministries that we have in our church and all the gifts that God has given, you realize the hundreds of combinations that it would take for the church to exist and run the way that God created it to run? And see, people ask me all the time, Brandon, aren't you so proud and so excited about what God does? And I say, yeah, I'm, I am extremely proud to be a part of what God has done. But I am oftentimes extremely disappointed because I feel like our church could do so much more if we all played our part. And I think just kingdom-wise, like what would it look like if God's church all did their part? Do you realize that all the results that we've seen would exponentially increase in three years just because everybody did a little bit more? See, that's what happens when we use our gifts and our unique gifts at that. I, I get it. I, I, we oftentimes struggle to use our gifts because we think they're not important. Like that's one of the things I'll hear. Brandon, I would love to help, but man, I just, I don't really know what I'm going to do. It seems so insignificant for me to make coffee. It even seems more insignificant that there's three other ladies making coffee. I don't really see my point. I don't, I'm, I'm not sure. I just feel like I stand around. I don't really do much. But here's the deal. You're, you're missing something because there's nothing insignificant. There was a little boy who all he had to bring Jesus was a lunch. And it include five loaves of bread and two fish. That's it. And that little boy, I mean, he could have brought that and said, you know what, it's really insignificant, I'm just going to keep it. Matter of fact, even when he was a little bit hassled by the disciples, I mean, they look at him, mean, you can almost look as they look inside and they go, there's 5,000 people, little boy. I mean, what, what is this going to do? I mean, think about it. I mean, they were a little bit skeptical themselves. I mean, the apostles, the one who have been with Jesus, the one who have seen miraculous signs, basically go, I don't know what he's going to do with this, but I'll take it to him anyway. And the little boy, even though he didn't have much, he didn't go, you know what, just give it back to me. No, he believed that God had given him that in his life and that God could use it. And so God uniquely took this boy and his contribution and he, what, multiplied it. And we know that a minimum of 5,000 people were fed. Why? Through a unique, small contribution of what seemed like very little. But thousands were impacted by one boy's insignificant but godly gift. That's what happens when we realize that God has given us gifts and ministries and effects for a common good. And so I encourage you to, to think, is it really insignificant? Paul would write to the church of Corinth in 1 Corinthians 12 later down, and he would say this in 14 through 20. Look at it. It's really cool. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would make, not make any, any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would make, not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? If it was just up to you, then what about the team? What about the whole body? It's crazy, right? But in verse 20, he says, As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Paul would go on in verse 21, and he would say this, If the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. There is not a single part of our body that is insignificant. There is not one gift that God has given you spiritually that he doesn't want to use. 
But we have to understand that everything matters because that's what makes up the body. I think some of us in here, we don't just struggle with an insignificant gift, but I think most of us in here, we, we probably struggle with something that we would call analysis paralysis. You got that? Say it with me. Analysis paralysis. Now, here's what that is. Hey, pastor, uh, I'm so excited to be here. They come to our membership class. Man, we can't wait to get into a group. We can't wait to get moving. And then they just freeze. And you look up, and four years later, they're still observing every ministry in the church. And they go, I want to get plugged in here or maybe here, but it's the analysis that causes the paralysis because they're trying to find that one perfect ministry And I'll tell you, it doesn't exist. How about perfect enough? How about I can make a difference in a kid by just being a small group leader and investing an hour or two on a Wednesday night? How about I just plug in and I realize that nothing is insignificant and I quit analyzing so much and I just plug in and I figure out that after a while, I'm not a large group leader, but I could be a great small group leader. Or how about you get plugged in just like Cody King did? And you realize that in his gifts, there's a pastor there. There's a guy who can bring the word. You know where that was developed? On a Wednesday night in student ministry. That's how it happens. Quit analyzing and start being a part. I get it. There's one other thing that contributes. It's margin, right? I mean, some of you go, I feel like I've got a gift. I feel like there's a ministry for me. I just don't have the time. I just struggle with the time. And I get that. I do. I understand busy. I really do. I've helped plant a church. It's crazy. It's grown to 1,400 plus people in a month here. I have three kids under seven. I have a wife that I have to invest in. I have community obligations. I get busy. I understand that. I understand what it's like to be tired. I understand what it's like to not be home as much as you like. I get that. But here's the deal. Are you a part of a team that's going to make a difference? And the answer is, I believe I am. I believe that every investment I make is worthy of an eternal reward. That 2,000 years from now, the investments I make at home in the body are going to matter. And so that's why I invest in those. But I'll tell you what's interesting. One of the things that keeps us preventing, preventing us from being a part of the team is just this idea of time or margin, whether it be in our money or service, whatever. For instance, Harvard did a study. They had two different people that contributed this study, and they wanted to reenact the study that happened in the, the uh, 60s and 70s. And so what they did is they took uh, 67 seminary students, and they decided that they were going to have them teach on the topic of the Good Samaritan. And so these guys prepared for weeks about this idea of the Good Samaritan, and they were preparing to preach a message on the Good Samaritan. Now, so 67 theological students going to talk about helping other people. But what they did is, is that in their preparation, they let them prepare. And then they said, we're going we're gonna to take care of this and we're going we're gonna to record it. And so they gathered them in two different rooms on one part of the campus. And to one group, they, they hurried them. It was a hurried condition. And so what they said is, is, hey, listen, we're already running behind. They're waiting on us to film. We got started late. You need to get over there ASAP. The other group of seminary students, they did what they called an unhurried condition. And what they said is, hey, listen, it doesn't really matter. They're running behind. It's going to take a while. And so you do whatever you need, but just just realize, I mean, we need to get over there, but there is no rush for time. We're going to be waiting a little while. 
And so what they do is, is they, they take these 67 students that have all studied the same thing, and they, as they go across campus, they stage a guy who would resemble the Good Samaritan. And he is huddled up in a corner, and literally he is moaning, he's clutched over in pain, he is an agonizing defeat. And what they realize is that of the half of the people that were under the hurry condition, only 10% stopped to render aid. But then you had the other half, and they were under the unhurried condition, meaning, hey, take your time. It doesn't matter. We'll get to it when we get to it. And 63% of the seminary students stopped. Now, it wasn't because the first group didn't understand the same theological convictions. It was just that they just didn't have time in their schedule. They didn't feel like they had time to render aid. Now, the question is, is that happening in our schedule? Yes. Like God wants us to build in a little time that if a coworker comes to us at our desk, we go, you know what? That email can wait for a few minutes for us to stop and have a conversation about a godly contribution to the kingdom. I mean, what's it look like if we built some margin in to our schedule for kingdom things? Wouldn't that be awesome? Now, I'll tell you, I don't know what it is in terms of here. And it, it could be that you say, you know what? I'm just really struggling to make an investment because my gifts are insignificant. Maybe you say, you know what? I just I struggle to find the time. I, I struggle with all of this. I just don't know where it is. Maybe you're in analysis paralysis. I, I don't know. But I will tell you this, that right now, over the last six months, we have observed that 55% of our adults do not serve in any capacity. 55%. Now, I'll tell you, the number that that's taken off of is the number of 738. We average on two campuses here 738 adults per month. Not kids, not students, 738 adults per month on our campuses. And so what I'm saying is, is 55% of those adults in the last six months have not contributed in any way that we see in serving. Does that surprise anybody but me? Does that alarm anybody but me? I think it's important that we use our gifts. Why? Because they're unique and God gave them for us to use in his team. Got that? Now, I'll tell you, he didn't just use them for our team, but he uses them because our combined efforts make a real difference. Matter of fact, uh, I don't know if y'all saw this. It was in uh, uh, Hearth, Australia, but I want you to check out this video and see what combined efforts can do for someone. The astonishing image at the height of rush hour, an Australian commuter trapped. Look at this. His legs stuck in that gap just inches wide. That train about to take off. It is a true nightmare for those of us who ride the subway or a train. And ABC's Dan Harris tonight with what happened next. It starts as a typical morning tableau, commuters filing into a train just before 9 a.m. But then, right there, a man somehow gets his foot stuck, his left leg slipping into the several-inch-wide gap between the train and the platform. The train's about to pull out, but the last passenger behind the guy who got stuck calls for help. The train just didn't go, and then someone yelled out saying a guy's leg was caught in the door. Worried commuters gather around to help. The first tactic, getting everybody inside the train to jump to the other side of the car, hoping to sway it away from the platform. But that doesn't work, at which point they realize there is only one solution here, elbow grease. And push. About 50 passengers line up alongside the train and push, everybody together. Men, women, children push the train back to help someone who's in a bit of trouble and could really have been at risk of serious injury. And 10 minutes later... Well done. Thank you. Oh, I got him out. Rescue accomplished. It was a good result that everyone put in together and got him out. 
The rescued man walks away and even catches the next train. Perhaps more mindful now of the age-old maxim, watch the gap. Dan Harris, ABC News, New York. So that's cool when you combine efforts, isn't it? It's this idea of synergy. Uh, matter of fact, years ago in Canada, they decided they were going to have a contest uh, between oxen that people own. And so the, you saw this contest, and the, the uh, winner pulled four tons, about 8,000 pounds. And the second-place oxen actually pulled just a few hundred pounds below that. And so the two owners got together, and they said, hey, what would it look like if we had them pull weight together? And so they took bets on it, and most people presumed to think that they would what? Double. But with synergy... In a combined effort, those two oxen who pulled a little uh, at 8,000 or a little below themselves pulled 26,000 pounds together, over three times the weight that they pulled individually. That's what happens when we get together for the common good. That's what you call synergy. Isn't that awesome? Now, here's what's crazy. This is what's ironic if we're thinking about sports things, okay? When you think about synergy and you think about this biblical principle that you find in Ecclesiastes 4.9, which simply says two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. When we think about teamwork, we oftentimes see it in a very limited scale. For instance, several of you on Friday night were yelling, come on, coach, teach those guys to block. And you're complaining about blocking on a Friday night and you don't even block on Sundays. That's why you got to be a team player. We always complain about what's happening in other areas of our life, right? Man, coach, why do you keep putting him in the batter's box? He never pulls his weight. Are you pulling your weight? I'll, I'll tell you, I think it was really cool. Um, back in uh, the spring, we challenged you, and we uh, did this series called The Elephant in the Room, and uh, we encouraged people to give, and we encourage you to make a couple of different significant steps. For some of you, just to start giving something. For some of you, to uh, give something significant. For others, to, to be a threshold giver. Uh, then, for some of you, to be extravagant in your giving. And um, what here, here's what we saw, said. There are 45% of our adults that were not giving, have not given a dollar in the last year. Well, now over the last six months, we re-ran those numbers this week. I had our financial team do that. And I don't know who gave what. I just know that there are some that don't give. And that number is now, which I praise God for, is 35% of our adults. Okay, so we can clap for that. Okay, amen. And here's why. Because that's a faith decision. I want you to realize that when you take a step to serve or you take a step to give, whatever, that's a faith decision. That's a discipleship decision. We, we don't take that lightly. Why? Because it's an important step in the right direction of you doing what God wants you to do. And so we see that. And I'll tell you, our combined efforts make a huge difference. Very early on, I'll, I'll explain it one more way. We, we didn't have a whole lot of money when we first started. But what we did believe is early on, we needed to develop strategic partners who could do more than what we felt like we could on our own. We still have strategic partners, which we have highlighted over the last several months. But I want you to realize, too, one of the things we gave to was a, this network called the Team Plant Network. And the reason why is because Team Plant Network, they helped, one, coach us in the early days of our church to help remind me and show me some obstacles that might come and that they had already learned how to uh, avoid some of those. And so they coached us through that, but they also contributed to us. They gave us $25,000 in the first few weeks of our, our church to help us get started. And it was a huge contribution to a church who we had literally little to start with. But one of the things we believed in is that we should give. And we didn't have a whole lot to give. We literally gave two, $300 a month to them. 
But we did believe that there was a collective group of churches that if we were all giving a little bit of something, that we could start some new churches. And so in the first six years of our church, by giving to uh, Team Plant Network and helping with that, we were able to help contribute to 10-plus churches being started. Now, that's significant. And here's what's incredible is we couldn't have started one church by ourselves in the early days, but because of synergy and a commitment of combined efforts, we were able to do more. See, that's the idea. The sum of parts is always more than one on its own. And so what is God calling us to? He's calling us to be about a team that matters. And so he, he's do, asking us to use our gifts, and not only our, our gifts, but our, what, combined efforts. Why? For the encouragement of others. Cody, uh, he, he talked a, a couple, well, it's been about a year and a half ago, and he shared Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. And he says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. That is a verse that I've remembered. And the reason why is he gave the analogy of Kool-Aid. Do y'all remember it? And stirring it up. And I remember that. I'll never forget it. It's one of the great analogies that just kind of sticks in your mind. And that's what the goal of the church is. The goal of the church is to strive to push on each other and encourage one another. Why? Because we all have gifts and our combined efforts really do matter. Like your part really does matter. And then we need to encourage people in that. Why? Because as we encourage each other something that matters, we encourage people who don't know God. Do you know why we encourage? If you look at verse 25, it says, because we do it as the day draws near. So what we mean is that God created everything. He wants to recreate us. And in John chapter 14, he goes, and I want to come again, and I'm going to come again. And you and I are going to be able to meet God in one of two ways. We can see him as a lamb who was slain, who gave up his life for us, or we can meet him as a line of justice who mows down his adversaries. You don't get to see him as both. Your neighbor doesn't get to see him as both. Your friends don't get to see him as both. Our enemies don't get to see him as both. And so the purpose of the church is to make God famous so that more and more people see a God who created everything and who can recreate them in order they see God as a lamb who sacrificed his life. In a couple of weeks, we're going to take up what we call a... Uh, a offering for our advanced 2020 commitment. And here's the deal. I, I want to encourage you to be praying about how you can sacrifice to give to kingdom purposes. And it's over and beyond what you already give. It kind of stretches it a little bit. Honestly, it's a little bit uncomfortable. It's even more uncomfortable sometimes to challenge you. But here's what God told me. Brandon, if you're going to lead, you're going to lead people to some really hard places. And I'm okay with that. But here's the deal. I'm not asking for equal gifts. I am asking for equal sacrifice. There are some of us in here that you can't give a whole lot, and that's okay. There's some of you that God has blessed you that you could give significantly. Here's my challenge. I would ask that everyone in here would give sacrificially, and I would also ask that some of you in here that you give something. There's 35% of our people in here that you've not given anything. Give $5. Get off that list. Let's take it from 35% to 0%. Everybody here contributes. Do you know how you get on that list of contributors? You give a dollar. That doesn't seem hard, does it? I mean, we bought more in Sonic drinks yesterday or spent more at the fair than what we do to the church who changes the world globally for all of eternity. Now you tell me, what's better, a Fletcher's corny dog or seeing people come to Jesus? That's a no-brainer, okay? And I'll tell you why, because I ain't standing in line for a Fletcher's corny dog. <laughs> what would it look like if we made sacrifices? used our unique gifts for combined efforts so that others are encouraged.
That's what advances the kingdom of God. Would you be a part of it? Let me pray for us. God, we love you and we thank you for today. And we thank you, God, for the opportunity to be a part of what you're doing. And God, I pray that we would have the heart of sacrifice. God, you tell us in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 12, that for the ministry of the service is not only supplying the need of the saints, but it's overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. God, would we be people who overflow into the lives of other people? God, will we be people who advance the cause of Jesus because of what you've done in our lives? God, help us. God, show us that, Lord, every part matters, that there's nothing insignificant, and that, God, you want us to be on your team because your team matters. And every choice, every decision, and every contribution we have is noted by you. And we're building into a crown of righteousness that will never spoil or fade away. And God, I pray that we would build a crown worthy of casting at your feet. God, we love you and we thank you for this church. We thank you for the significant contributions that have been made. But I pray we'd realize we can do more in the next few years than we've done in the first six if everybody plays their part. God, help us. In Jesus' name we pray. And the church said,